welcome to Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone, recording from the astral plane. Those of you keeping track will know that I've previously recorded episodes in the negative zone and the phantom zone. What's the difference between all these places? Well, first of all, the astral plane is a plane, not a zone. That's crucial. If you remember your geometry, a plane is a flat two-dimensional surface that extends infinitely far, whereas a zone is the surface area of a spherical segment. So, hope that clears things up. Before you get too excited, I should let you know this isn't a geometry podcast. Sorry if you were looking forward to that. This is a podcast about comic books, specifically comic book characters who at some point die and at some other point come back to life. Today, we're talking about Spider-Woman. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. It's going to be a cool episode. Spider-Woman is kind of about as comic booky a character as you can get. Her origin story starts out as a science fiction spy thriller, but later on gets wrapped up in all kinds of mysticism and magic. It's really fun. So without further delay, let's talk about the first appearance, death, and return of Spider-Woman. What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The son of three thousand dollars will be paid to the terrifying, the deadly, the amazing Spider-Man! The year is 1978, and editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics Stan Lee has a thought. A terrifying, frightening, night-sweat-inducing thought. Marvel owns the copyright to their signature character Spider-Man. But what is stopping the competition from creating a character named Spider-Woman? Why, nothing. Marvel secures the copyright by publishing a comic featuring a character named Spider-Woman in Marvel Spotlight, number 32. Archie Goodwin, writer-editor. Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney, illustrators. Irv Watanabe, letterer. Janice Cohen, colorist. A solitary figure glides across the Riviera, borne aloft by finely spun wings of filament folding out from her arms and torso. She's garbed in a mostly scarlet red suit with highlights of black and yellow. The mask completely covers any sign of hair or human eyes, revealing only a nose and lips. The narration tells us that she only has memories of her immediate past, and that her mind is focused on the present. Her mission is to infiltrate the Mediterranean branch of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Sexy Helicopter Information Emergency Department. Okay, it actually stands for Supreme Headquarters International Law Enforcement Division. At least right now. The Spider-Woman manages to just evade the eyes of a lookout, and she sticks to a wall of the S.H.I.E.L.D. base, crawling along the building until she finds an air conditioning vent she can break through. She disarms the alarms and crawls inside. Meanwhile, an ominous airship flies overhead, hidden behind cloud cover. The captain of the vessel reports in to main headquarters. Agent Arachne has successfully gained entry to the S.H.I.E.L.D. complex. Hail Hydra! Hydra Commander is glad to hear it. Soon, that hated face I keep before me on the alternate view screen will belong to a dead man. Never again will Hydra's dream of world conquest be thwarted by Nick Fury, Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, yeah, he's literally got Fury's scruffy face hanging out on a monitor, eye patch and all. I guess indefinitely. It really doesn't seem like a healthy way for him to deal with his emotions, and it's kind of awkward too, because, like, Nick Fury doesn't have a view screen dedicated to just the Hydra Commander's face, you know? No, Fury has other concerns, namely the Hydra agent in front of him, who he's engaged in a round of rough fisticuffs. One of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents tries to help rein in the enemy agent, but Fury tells him to back the fuck off. This is S.H.I.E.L.D. 
Don't you know how we do things? Don't you know how we espionage? We find an enemy agent, then we call on the senior most member of the whole division to fly in from headquarters. That's me, Colonel Nick fucking Fury. Then, I fist fight the enemy agent until he gives us everything he knows. It's a proven formula, it never fails, so I'm gonna need you to stay in your goddamn lane. Do we understand each other? Shortly after, Agent Arachne bursts through the door of the interrogation room. Fury turns away from the dude he'd been punching to look at who he's going to have to punch next, and is surprised to see that the newcomer has taken out everyone else with her venom bolts. And you're next, the arachnid agent says. But the bolt will come when I'm touching you, bringing death for what you've done, to the man I love. Yeah, turns out she knows the dude Fury's just knocked out, to put it lightly. As the spider woman approaches for the death blow, her brief life leading to this moment flashes on panel. She was run out of her hometown by an angry mob. She ran for her life, not remembering the origin of the reaction. When one man gets too close, she unleashes a deadly bolt from her hand to knock the assailant out. Once she's made it to the road, a strange man in a limousine stops and invites her to join Hydra. What's Hydra? She asks. Oh, you know, we're just a bunch of cool dudes hanging out that really enjoy green jumpsuits and goggles, and we're trying to make the world a better place. But these other guys, S.H.I.E.L.D., they're, they don't want the world to be a better place. And we're like, really? And they're like, no, can't do that. So, you know, we got to destroy them. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm in. Hydra hooks the mysterious woman up to a brain scanner where they discover her secret origin. They lie, however, telling her they could discover nothing. So wait, is this still her remembering? Because, okay, I guess they aren't her memories so much as the moments that led up to... It, it just seemed like she was remembering it because the panel was focused on her head right before the... Fl- anyway, whatever. The woman is sent to train with Hydra's top combat agent, Jared, so she can hone her fantastic abilities into... Okay, sorry. I, I was expecting Hydra's top combat agent to have a cool code name like Viper or Fang, but Jared... Okay, whatever. In the process of the training, the the two fall in love. When Jared is captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., Hydra Commander sends Agent Arachne to take him back and kill Nick Fury. And we're back. Agent Arachne fires a venom bolt at Fury, but the colonel dives out of the way. He quickly realizes that he won't be able to contend with his opponent's uncanny spider-like agility for long, however, and so he hatches a plan, heading for the interrogation chamber's control console. Jared rouses himself and grabs Fury from behind, entreating his lover to deal the finishing blow. The arachnoid agent tries, but Fury throws Jared over his shoulder to intercept the superpowered punch. The Spider-Woman is distraught that she's injured the man she loves, and Nick uses this distraction to activate the alarm and set up video playback footage on a nearby screen. Just as the Spider-Woman is about to finish Fury for good, she sees what is on the screen. It's scenes of Jared committing acts of violence and brutality against innocent people. Jared! Tell me it isn't true. Jared, who's dying, doesn't give a shit anymore, so tells her, yeah, it's all true, babe. I, like, seduced you so Hydra could manipulate you into killing Nick Fury. After hearing this terrible revelation, Spider-Woman hightails it out of there at Fury's protest, hops into a Hydra flyer, and heads directly back to Hydra HQ to confront the gaslighting bastards. She glides out of her vehicle as it crashes directly into the commander's throne room. The Spider-Woman makes quick work of the foot soldiers left standing, and chases the commander down a spiraling staircase. Just as she catches up, sounds of gunfire can be heard from above. Turns out Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. have piggybacked on Spider-Woman's assault to take out the entire complex. At this point, the commander is kind of worried that maybe his plan wasn't as foolproof as he thought. Okay, okay, I'll make you a deal. Let me get out of here on my cool escape rocket plane. 
absolutely obligatory for every leader of an evil organization, and I'll reveal your secret origin. Spider-Woman reluctantly agrees, and the commander explains what he knows. Once, there was a man who dubbed himself the High Evolutionary. Just how high was he? High enough to seclude himself in the mountains of Eastern Europe and conduct experiments where he sped up the evolution of animals to the point where they could walk and talk like men. One day, he decided to create his first female. He endeavored to make this specimen completely human in appearance, and this time, instead of a mammal, he used... a spider. No! Spider-Woman exclaims. You're lying! If such a thing were true, I'd know it! But wait, there's more. Once created, the High Evolutionary's other creations didn't really like her, so kicked her out. Spider-Woman wandered into a nearby town where she found love in life, but after an unfortunate accident where she killed her lover with a venom blast, the trauma gave her amnesia and she was ran out of town. All the memories rush back to Spider-Woman as she hears this, and Hydra Commander uses this opportunity to ping her with a poison gas pellet as he makes his escape. Spider-Woman shrugs off the effects of the poison, jumps onto the escape plane, and bends the rudder, sending the vehicle exploding into a mountainside as she glides safely away. Her revenge achieved, Spider-Woman is left to deal with the memories that haunt her as she walks alone into the sunset. There's kind of an unintentional theme here with a lot of the first appearances of these characters that we've done so far. They all turn out to be heroes, but they're kind of evil to start out. Like, just kind of. Not too evil, just a little bit. Uh, Superman is the exception to this, I guess, but even him, it'd be fair to say he's rambunctious, anyway, right? Anyway, it's not lost on me, but like I say, not wholly intentional. It is interesting, though, because a lot of people like to think of comics getting grimmer and grittier as time goes on, but if you look at a lot of these first appearances, at least from the character perspective, maybe not that much. I don't know. Something to think about. I mean, if one ignores the fact that you appear to be dead, it's almost peaceful. Are we seriously fucking dead? The spotlight issue where Spider-Woman first appeared was supposed to be a one-and-done to secure the rights to the name. But the character hit a chord with people, so much so that she got her own series soon after. In the book, her origin is rewritten so that rather than a literal spider, she was instead a girl injected with a strange spider serum by her father a colleague of the High Evolutionary. Her father only resorted to the experimental serum in order to save his daughter's life. She also gets a wardrobe improvement, her costume now accentuating her long black hair instead of hiding it. Despite learning she was a human woman after all, Spider-Woman always feels like an outsider and never quite fits in. A running theme is that she would meet all kinds of other misfits throughout the comic's run, like a guy named Daddy Longlegs, who was a dude who had really long legs. And arms. Maybe he should have been daddy long legs and arms? No, I guess that doesn't sound as good. Spider-Woman gets a civilian name and identity, Jessica Drew. She becomes a private detective and uses her spider powers to fight strange new enemies issue after issue. At the height of her popularity, Marvel even produces an animated TV series that would run for 16 episodes between 1979 and 1980, where the heroine fights threats like the Kingpin using an experimental invisibility ray. Okay, I just wanted to say that last part. It's a funny episode. The character's heyday doesn't last forever, and when the sales of her comic drop, Marvel decides to cancel the series. The last issue would publish in 1983. Spider-Woman, number 50. Anne Nascenti, scripter. Brian Postman, penciler. Sam DeLaRosa, inker. 
Rick Parker, letterer. Andy Yonkis, colorist. Spider-Woman is caught in a web, spun by the fingers of a giant horrible hag, looming over our heroine with a ghastly smile. I am the fate that spins like your namesake, Spider-Woman, but the thread I spin is that of life itself, and I have seen my sister, the second fate, measuring that same thread that is your lifeline. Jessica wakes in a start, yelping, No! You've seen nothing! Her roommate rushes into the room to check to see if she's okay. The two debate competing psychoanalytical interpretations of her dream, before Jessica reveals what's worrying her. Everyone she meets seems to disappear. Lindsay tells Jessica that she isn't going anywhere, and suggests her friend take a shower while Lindsay cooks breakfast. But after Lindsay finishes the most important meal of the day, Jessica doesn't come out of the bathroom to join her. Lindsay checks the shower to find. Jessica is the one to now disappear. We soon find out that she was covertly abducted by a man named Locksmith, a talented escape artist who has honed his skills to fantastic levels. Turns out Jess isn't the first person to be captured here. Spider-Woman sees many of the people she alluded to disappearing earlier, including the cat lady Tigra and the werewolf. The dastardly asshole has custom-designed special power-inhibiting manacles for each of his unwilling guests. Having given the tour, Locksmith continues with the monologue. He was a teenage lock-in mechanism prodigy who put on a killer escape show. But his fame was short-lived, eclipsed as more and more beings beyond human began to enter the public eye. So he decided to build a bunch of locks designed to suppress powers and started following around Spider-Woman to find a bunch of folks with abnormal abilities. Now locked behind bars, Jessica next has a brief interaction with Locksmith's associate TikTok, who has the uncanny skill to look ahead several seconds into the future and perfectly predict actions and outcomes. Man, you couldn't have a name like that now. It'd be like naming yourself Facebook. Was there a Marvel character named Facebook? I could see it. Dude with a face, that's a book. Would probably be a Daredevil villain. I mean, that's no worse than Stiltman, you know? Speaking of Marvel characters I wasn't sure existed or not, Spider-Woman notices a man she knows as Shroud nearby. Shroud has a cool shadowy black costume and can control dark energy from a different dimension. He also has extrasensory psychic vision, and Spider-Woman figures that if their captors specially made locks have a weakness, it would be against mental abilities like this. Shroud's thoughts are being deafened by headphones pumping discordant music into his ears. Spider-Woman attempts to break through the noise by repetitively calling out his name. It almost works. Shroud tries to break the headphones against the bars of his cell, but they are too well designed, and the music continues to block his concentration. Tigra tries something similar calling out to a boy with nightmare powers named Poltergeist, except instead of saying his name, she insults and berates him. The resulting unconscious psychic backlash is powerful enough to crack the prison doors of Spider-Woman and the prisoner in the cell next to her, a member of her rogues gallery named, uh, am I allowed to say, a uh, Moth. Her name is Moth. Jessica tries to rally help from her foe, but before anything can happen, gas begins to flow into the room. Locksmith and TikTok aren't far behind, and they carry the two unconscious bodies back into their cells. Sometime later, the woman dressed as a moth wakes up and breaks out of her manacles. Turns out this isn't the moth lady after all, but Spider-Woman in disguise. The two women exchanged outfits before the gas could knock them out, with the aid of the moth's psychokinetic control over fiber. Spider-Woman's cell was designed to inhibit her powers. Now in a different cell, and free of this restriction, She's regained her strength, and with a powerful venom blast, breaks out from the bars entrapping her. She doesn't stop there and frees the other captives. The ensemble make quick work of Locksmith and TikTok. 
excited to be free, Spider-Woman says, party at my place, and they all go hang out at her apartment. Once there, Jessica's boyfriend David asks to talk to her outside, and this is where things get fucking wild. On her way outside, Jessica begins to hallucinate and tells David she'll be a minute. She tries to splash water on her face in the bathroom, but when she looks at herself in the mirror, a deadly visage stares back instead of her face. She shakes it off. Once outside, David explains that he wants a woman who, quote, doesn't bring home every freak nature ever spit out. He breaks up with her. Jessica isn't happy about this, but before the conversation can go too far, David is possessed by former mentor and friend Magnus. The mysterious sorcerer has taken over this body to speak with her. Jessica is taken aback, to say the least. Couldn't you have, like, called? We were kind of in the middle of something here. Oh yeah, I'm a ghost, so this is the only way I can interact with the world. Did I never tell you that? Well, yeah, I'm a ghost. Also, more importantly, you know Morgan Le Fay? My ex? Your enemy? Yeah, she's trapped in the 6th century, and from there she's been sending illusions to your brain to try to drive you insane. So, I think what we should do is astral project ourselves back in time and fight her. Sorry, is this a bad time, or... No, no, it's fine. Just, yeah, a lot to take in. First of all, I can't astral project or time travel. I can't do those things. You know that, right? Most people can't do those things. Oh, no, it's easy. I'll show you. It'll be fine. The two leave their bodies behind. Spider-Woman finds the freedom of shedding her earthly form exhilarating, but Magnus reigns her in. The two catch up on old times as they travel through a temporal portal on their way to, well, old times. Once there, Magnus saves a 6th century peasant woman from being trampled to death by a horse, and tells Jessica to hop on in. What? I'm not just gonna possess people. Like, you. Magnus convinces her, though, and transforms the host body into the perfect image of Spider-Woman, costume and all. They head to Morgan Le Fay's castle. A spell casted by Merlin ensures that the evil sorceress never leave its walls, lest she perish. As they arrive, Le Fay thanks Magnus for falling for her plan, and luring her hated foe to the premises. She quickly dispatches with the man's spirit, and then vexes Spider-Woman with illusions of giant hairy spiders. Jessica passes her will save, shrugs it off, and flies forward. Le Fay throws a red crystal ball at Spider-Woman, who catches it. In it, she sees the friends she's left in her apartment in the 20th century. Le Fay claims to have trapped their souls, so Spider-Woman breaks the ball. She's then forced to fight their almost tangible spirit forms. She struggles to do so without hurting them, but overcomes the challenge with a diffused scattershot of her venom blast. Le Fay then summons a bunch of knights, but Spider-Woman beats them all into submission. The sorceress now begins to cower in the wake of her opponent. Jessica Drew moves forward. You cringe well, Morgan, as well you may at the nadir of your existence. I am a spider, but while you believe that is a weakness, I know it to be my very strength. I know what I am. I have faced myself. I have faced the Spider-Woman. But can you? With one final mighty punch, Spider-Woman hits Le Fay so hard the villainous hurdles past the walls of the castle. Merlin's spell comes into effect, and the sorceress disintegrates to dust. Magnus reappears to congratulate her, and the two head back to the present, victorious. When Jessica attempts to return to her body, however, there is a problem. Her mortal form is... dead. Magnus explains. In her last moments, Le Fay reached out and took the life from Drew's body. He's... sorry. But now her mortal work is done, and her spirit work is begun.
But wait, Jessica protests. My friends, they'll be so sad. Magnus, do one last thing for me. Cast a spell so that no one will mourn me. I want them to be happy. Magnus casts the spell, and everyone who knew her, whether intimately or in passing, forgets her. Every trace of her is gone, erased from the minds of all as if she never existed. Huh. Sounds kind of familiar. Spider-Woman takes one last look at everything before she goes. Goodbye, life. You were pretty good to me. Life is good and then you die. I can accept that. She turns to Magnus. Spirit realm, huh? Things I've never seen before? Like what? In lieu of the end, the final note on the final page reads, With profound regret, we must announce that this is the final issue of Spider-Woman. Wow. That one was pretty good. This is the reason I wanted to do this podcast. In terms of pure quantity, comic books are the medium wherein you'll find the most stories about heroes dying and returning. More times than not, there are market forces behind these deaths and returns, so not all the stories come out fully baked. As we've seen and will continue to see, a lot of them don't. But once in a while, you get something like this. I'm amazed at everything they fit into this comic. It rounds out to 40-ish pages, so this is a giant-sized issue, but even so. This is just honestly a well-written ending to a character. It brings back all kinds of characters she's met throughout her whole series, gives her a chance to save them, and ends with a climactic battle with her arch-nemesis. And the senti-man. What a talent. The art team kills it too. When Spider-Woman is taking her last look at life on the final page, she's gorgeous. It looks like she's looking directly at you, saying goodbye to the reader. It's almost a shame that she ends up coming back. Hopefully the story does it justice, but we'll have to see. Superman, how can you be... Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches and... It's complicated. Despite the dwindling sales, readers weren't happy that Spider-Woman was killed. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Of the death, Nascenti said... These are licensed characters, and you want them to have a forever life. At the same time, they live in a violent world, and occasionally you feel like someone has to die. Otherwise, it's too unreal. Despite this logic, editor and former writer of the series Mark Grunwald took the fan reaction personally, and decided the decision was a mistake. Now editor for The Avengers, Mark asked writer Roger Stern to bring Spider-Woman back. Turns out, Jessica's body wasn't completely dead, and Magnus's spell wasn't all that good at actually making her friends forget her. When Tigra finds her friend's body on the ground outside, she rushes Jessica to a hospital and calls the Avengers. Also, turns out Morgan Le Fay isn't completely dead, either, but exists in astral form like Magnus and Spider-Woman. She reappears after centuries of hiding, attacking Magnus as Jessica attempts to get back to her body. And so... Here we go. Less than a year after the character's initial fall, we get The Mighty Avengers, number 241. Roger Stern, scripter. Anne Nascenti, story consultant. Al Milgram, breakdowns. Joe Sinna and Andy Mashinsky, finishers. Jim Novak, letterer. Christy Scheel, colorist. A group of Jessica Drew's friends and fellow superheroes rush to her hospital room, which is shielded by a strange otherworldly energy. While the hospital staff's attempts to break through are futile, the costumed ensemble finds they're able to bypass the magical barrier. There, they see the Sorcerer Supreme Doctor Strange casting his magics upon a Spider-Woman-shaped spirit that's floating over Jessica Drew's inert body in the bed. 
suddenly there's a lot of people in the room, so let's do a roll call. Just arriving are the Wasp, currently the leader of the Avengers, She-Hulk, Tigra, Star Fox, and Shroud. You remember Shroud, right? From the prison? Already in the room with Jessica, we find Hank Pym, currently out of any costume and working solely in the capacity of a medical doctor. Him and Wasp have recently divorced, so if there wasn't so much else going on, things would probably be a little awkward. There's also the Scarlet Witch and Captain Marvel, but not the one in the movie. This is Monica Rambeau. You might recognize the name from the WandaVision series if you saw that. At this point in comics continuity, she's got the ability to convert her body mass into any form of energy on the electromagnetic spectrum. Turns out the magic barrier was summoned by Doctor Strange to protect the hospital staff. When Spider-Woman attempted to return to her body last issue, she met a blockage of ruinous energy, and it's taking most of Strange's concentration to contain the energies and keep Jessica's spirit from falling apart. Strange remarks that whatever is doing this must be powerful. On cue, the vision of Morgan Le Fay enters the room, as if it wasn't crowded enough. Power? Ha! You cannot begin to comprehend the extent of my power. Since Le Fay has been by herself on the astral plane for several centuries, she's a bit talky, and in classic villain tradition reveals all the details of her plans. Basically, after destroying Jessica's spirit, she's going to take over Spider-Woman's body. Fuck that, She-Hulk says, to which Le Fay responds with a barrage of arcane summons that spill into the room. The heroes fight off spiked vines, spooky bats, and these weird ball things. Wasp forms a plan to take the fight to Le Fay, and Shroud, uh, shrouds Le Fay's vision long enough for himself, She-Hulk, Scarlet Witch, and Star Fox to enter the astral plane through Strange's portal. Captain Marvel and Tigra stay behind to protect everyone from Le Fay's conjurations, while Wasp assists her ex in keeping Jessica's physical vitals stable. The epic battle takes a turn when Le Fay transforms into a towering figure of rock, formed from the matter of the realm she claims mastery of. What she doesn't know is that the fight has served as a distraction for Magnus, giving him time to recover from the sorceress's attack. He goes to Spider-Woman's astral form, and tells her he is going to use the last bit of his magic, the magic that's been keeping his spirit alive all these centuries, to help Jessica back into her mortal form. He'd fallen in love with her, and though recently he sought to keep her in this state between life and death like him, now he knows he must sacrifice himself, so that she may live. Magnus's gambit works, and after he fades away, Jessica Drew is made whole once again, her eyes open, her vitals strong. Back on the astral plane, Morgan Le Fay sees that her designs have been foiled, and the Avengers rally against her while she's distracted. Le Fay decides that if she can't have Spider-Woman's body, she'll settle for She-Hulk's. But Doctor Strange, now no longer multitasking, uses the full complement of his powers to bind the sorceress to her rock form, and collect the heroes back to the physical realm. You'll live to rue this day, Doctor Strange! From this day forward, I am your sworn enemy! Lady, step in line. Okay, he, he doesn't say that, but it'd be cool. The portal between worlds is sealed, and everyone gathers around Jessica's bed. Hank informs her that while she's in good health, the ordeal has robbed her of her supernatural spider abilities. She's a normal woman now. But Jessica is just happy to be alive. Really alive. She doesn't need spider powers to be a private detective. It might be a bit challenging, but it'll be fine. As the narration says at the close of the story, The Spider-Woman may be gone, but for Jessica Drew, a bright new life beckons. Pretty good, I think. It probably helped that Anne Nascenti was a story consultant on this. It gives it the feeling of one story rather than something disjointed. Still, the ending in Spider-Woman number 50 had such an impression of finality 
So it feels a little strange to me to revive the character like this in a way where she's not even going to be in costume again. Why not just let her have her ending? It does remind me of the refrigerator conversation from the Echo episode. Sorry, once I have something in my brain like this, it's hard to get it out. Gail Simone's contention that women characters were frequently written off didn't just refer to death, but also depowering. Indeed, another character from this issue, Monica Rambeau, would lose her powers later in the 80s. So would popular X-Men Storm, off the top of my head. Yeah, I know these kind of things happen to male characters too, but at a wide view it doesn't seem proportional. Still, I definitely enjoyed reading this. Jessica Drew isn't used all that often for a while after. She does get her powers back, and appears in the early issues of Wolverine's first ongoing series, working alongside the titular character in Madripoor. She's not in costume there. Her big return to the forefront comes years later. There's a kind of urban legend that Brian Michael Bendez's character Jessica Jones was originally supposed to be Jessica Drew, which would make sense as they're both private detectives. That seems mostly untrue at this point, but uh, Bendez himself has said contradictory things about it. In any case, he does add the character to his new Avengers lineup. Well, technically, he adds a scroll pretending to be Spider-Woman on his new Avengers lineup until she actually comes back a bit later, but the point is the character sticks around, and in 2015 Spider-Woman number one, she famously appears pregnant and in costume, probably the first character to ever do so. All right, thank you for listening to this episode of Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. If you liked it, tell a friend. If you didn't like it, tell a friend that might disagree. You can also rate the podcast 5 out of 5 stars on Apple, Spotify, and other places. You can leave a good review. You can share the show on social media. You can follow our social media by searching Not a Hoax, Not a Dream, or probably better than that, DR Comic Bookie. If you have any questions and don't want to use social media, you can email me at drcomicbookie at gmail.com. Next full episode will be on The Mighty Thor. And before that, I'm going to record a bonus episode about the time Thor kind of died and came back, but in a way I'm not counting. Yeah, we're going to talk Onslaught and Heroes Reborn.